Amen. Wow. All right. You have a seat. Hey, friends, we got a great treat for you today. My friend, Elliot Branch, who is the author of The Faith Road, uh, a book that you'll find in the lobby. He'll be out there after the service. In fact, we get a chance to meet him. But he authored this book, The Faith Road, used to serve in Southeast Asia and now leads a ministry called Mekong Multiply, uh, ministering God's hope, grace, love, and truth in Southeast Asia. And he also runs Kingdom Bean Coffee, which you may have heard advertised a time or two on the radio. Uh, and beyond all that, he's just a really, really good dude. He's become a good friend of mine my last couple of years here, has ministered to me in great ways. And I am excited to hear from him. I know you will be blessed. We will be blessed by hearing from him. And he's going to continue in our series, Conversations with God. OCC, give it up for my buddy, Elliot Branch. Good morning, everyone. I am very, very happy to be with you guys here this morning. Thank you, Fitz, for that intro. Um, Just very happy to be here. And I'm thrilled that all of you are doing, that here at Oklahoma, you're doing a series on prayer. And uh, I want to share some stories with you today about how I've seen God work through prayer in my life and on the mission field and some things that I've learned. But first, I must say that I'm impressed that all of you are here this morning. Not only um, is this a sermon about prayer, but you got the missionary speaking this morning. (laughs) And a lot of times people decide that's the the week to skip church, you know. Um, But I want you to put, put, I want to put you at ease this morning. Um, A lot of times people are afraid that the missionary is just going to be very boring and, uh, or or he's going to try to get you to all go overseas. So I promise I'm not going to do that. So what I like to do though, is I like everyone just to raise their hand and repeat after me if you don't mind. I will not become a missionary. Now, I should tell you that most missionary stories that I I hear begin with people telling how they told God they would never become a missionary. (laughs) And so, you know, if you tell God that uh, you're not going to do something, that's when he comes after you. So I've actually just doomed you all this morning. Seriously, though, um, you may have heard of a missionary named Hudson Taylor. He was uh, from England, and he served in the country of China and uh, back in the 1800s. And he was known for his prayer life. And his story actually had a radical impact on my life. And it taught me, taught me my first lesson on prayer. And that is that prayer requires trust. See, I became a Christian in college. And as a new believer, I was very excited about God. And because I finally came to understand that God is really real and not just a good idea. And it wasn't too long after I turned my life over to God that I felt him pulling me to the mission field. Now, I didn't know how to become a missionary. I didn't know what to do. And so I read a lot of books about missionaries. I read missionary biographies. And one of the books that I read was about Hudson Taylor. Now, their story after story is told about Hudson Taylor and how he committed not to ask people for things, but only to ask God. And there's this one time he tells a story about how he worked for a doctor, and the doctor forgot to pay him. And instead of going to the doctor and telling him, hey, where's my money, he decided that the best spiritual training that he could do to prepare himself to be an effective missionary before he went overseas to China was to pray and to learn to, as he says, move man through 
through God by prayer alone. That's what he said. Before he uh, leaves England to go to the mission field, he must learn to move man through God by prayer alone. So he committed himself to prayer, which required trust. And later he was amazed when he saw God come through for him. Well, I was a college graduate and I didn't, I had a degree, but I didn't have a job. And so I didn't have any money. And I had a rent payment that was due for $150. And uh, I considered asking some friends or some family directly, hey, can you help me out with this $150? But I decided that I was going to take Hudson Taylor's approach and ask God. So I prayed that God would give me another way to make the $150. Well, a day or two after I prayed this, I was walking across campus and I met a friend of mine. And uh, she said, my boss has a deck that she needs painted. She's looking for someone to paint her deck. Could you paint it for her? She'll give you $100. And I thought, you know, I, I don't really know how to paint a deck. And I need $150, not $100. And so I politely refused and, and went on my way. But as I was walking across campus, my heart just became really heavy all of a sudden. Because I felt like God was saying to me, Elliot, you prayed, you asked me for help, and now you're rejecting it. Are you going to trust me or not? So I ran back to my friend, and I told her, okay, I'll take the job. I figured that while $100 is not as much as I need, at least it's still better than nothing. So when I arrived at the house, I met the lady. She said, here's all the stuff. You can paint the deck. It'll probably just take you one day to do. Well, she wanted me to get done because she was getting the gutters changed on her house, and she wanted me to get done and out of there before they came to change the gutters. And, but as I got into it, I started to see that this is going to take longer than just one day. In the end, it took me two and a half days. And I secretly hoped that maybe she'd be really nice. <laughs> and recognizing that I took more time than, than just the one day, as she told me, that she'd pay me more. But when I went to go get the money from her, she gave me the $100 as we agreed upon. And that was it. But the last day that I was there, they had changed the gutters and they had piled the old ones up next to her house. And she said to me, hey, you have have a pickup truck. Could you get rid of those for me? Can you haul those away? Um, If you could just get rid of those for me, I will pay you, guess how much? (laughs) I was hoping she'd say $50 too, because then I'd have my $150. But actually she said $10. And I was like, okay, well, okay, Lord, thank you for $10. Uh, I'll go ahead and do it. And I took him away for $10. And um, as I was considering, where am I going to dump these? (laughs) I looked at the gutters and saw that they're made out of aluminum. And so I found a scrapyard that buys uh, aluminum. And they bought them from me. Guess how much they paid me? $40. You got it. (laughs) And so with the $100 from the deck... The $10 from hauling away the gutters and the $40 from selling them, I had my $150. You see, I had initially rejected God's help because I thought it wasn't enough. And he was saying to me, you prayed, now trust me. See, God promises that he'll take care of us. Not that he'll make us rich, but that he'll give us what we need. And we need to trust that. That same apartment that my friend and I rented, we, we didn't have any furniture. <laughs> And we would eat sitting on the floor, just leaning up against the wall. And so the same thing, I, I, I said, God, can you uh, give us a chair to sit on? Well, the following week as I was driving through town, I took a shortcut to get to my parents' house. And, and there in front of the yard of this one person's house was this really nice upholstered chair. And it had a sign on it. 
And as I drove by, I slowed down to see how much they were selling it for. And sure enough, on that sign, in big letters, it said, free. And I was like, wow, thank you, God. And I loaded the chair up to the back of my truck, and we had a chair to sit on. Now, these experiences taught me a great lesson. And that lesson is that we can rely upon God. God is reliable. But that these kinds of prayers require trust. We pray, and then we trust God. And when he comes through for us, it is absolutely thrilling. It's evidence that God is really real, that he's really alive, and he's really there. And that is exciting. In uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it says that, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, nobody prays to something they think isn't really there. Prayer requires believing that God is really real. It requires faith, which is another word for trust. Prayer requires trust as we come to God in prayer and earnestly seek him. When I moved to the mission field, I was amazed by more answers to prayer. And that's when I fully began to understand the second lesson on prayer that God taught me. And that is that God moves when his people pray. God moves when his people pray. You see, before I left home and went over to serve in in the country of Laos, uh, I looked at the list of unreached people groups of tribes in this country, and I I selected one of them that I felt God was wanting me to go and reach. And I began praying for this one tribe. This tribe was called the Mian people. Now, one of my supporting churches, actually in Virginia, they had in fact adopted this people group and decided, committed together as a church, we're going to pray for this people group until they are reached with the gospel, until a church is planted uh, among them. And so every week they prayed that the men would hear the gospel and turn to Jesus. Now, the team that I was joining on the field, they had been focused on reaching a different people group, a different tribe, the Taidan. And their supporting church, which was in Missouri, had adopted the Taidan in the same way. And they committed to praying for the Taidan people every week. And the team that I was joining, they had seen God move among the Taidan. They had seen many Taidan people come to the Lord, but not Mian people. They lived in close proximity with Mian people and even had interactions with them, but they never saw any Mian people turn to the Lord. And then uh, after I showed up on the field, and before I did anything really, it really definitely was not me, but all of a sudden Mian people just started showing up and asking to hear the gospel. There were three Mian house churches that got planted during my first year there. And I credit that to the prayers of this church in America who had dedicated themselves to praying for this unreached people group. Now, one Mian village that we worked with didn't have any believers, but they did have two elephants. And being a restricted country where it's not so easy just to go wherever you want, the elephants were our excuse to, to visit this village. And as we rode on the bare backs of the elephant, rocking back and forth, strolling through the village, we'd pray over all the households. Well, a couple years later, there was a man from this same village that heard a, a radio broadcast about the gospel. And he uh, decided to become a Christian. Long story short, I met him, and we decided to pray together about starting a church in his village. Another weekend, my teammate and I decided, well, let's go up to this village. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, it was before we had cell phones, we could just call ahead. And so we decided, let's go up to this village, up the mountain, and, and visit my friend. And we got there, and he wasn't there, but we met his wife, and she was home. And he had just led her to the Lord. And she was really excited to meet us. And she started taking us around to see all the different people that she had been sharing the gospel with, that she had been praying for, that she had been helping. And she asked us to pray for them, and we were happy to do that. And as we went over to the northern side of the village, <coughs> excuse me, um, she abruptly stopped. And she pointed at this thatch-roofed house across the way, and she said, we can't go to that house. And uh, I said, well, why not? And she said, well, I led the wife of that family to the Lord recently, and her husband is furious about it. He said that if he ever saw me come around again, he was going to kill me, and he was going to kill her too. Like, whoa, this is pretty serious. Um, The woman she had led to the Lord, her name was Nileen, and she saw us standing over there, and uh, she came over to uh, talk to us where we were standing, and uh, she was, you could still tell she was scared. She was eight months pregnant, and she, her face was still had that startled look on, on her face, like this is dangerous stuff we're doing here. Um, but we prayed for her, we prayed for Nileen, we prayed for her husband, and we asked God to break through to this man, and that he would keep Nileen safe too. Well, the following Sunday, I was down at our company down below, and we were just getting ready to worship on Sunday morning with our teammates, and all of a sudden, we hear this commotion of this Jeep coming in through our, um, our company gates with a group of men people from this village. What happened was that morning, Nileen had gone out to the woods to relieve herself. And as she was doing that, she actually gave birth to her baby. <coughs> and when she gave birth to her baby, the placenta didn't come out all the way. And so she started bleeding profusely and losing her strength. And it was all she could do to scoop up her baby and go back to her house where she collapsed in the doorway of her house. And her husband, who was still so angry with her for becoming a Christian, didn't lift a finger to help her. He was just going to let her and the baby die there. Somehow the other Christians in the village heard about her. And they got the only vehicle in the village. And they brought her down the mountain to me asking for help. So we put her in my truck. And I drove them to the local hospital where the doctors cleaned out her uterus, gave her a blood transfusion, and and saved her life, really. And I remember Nileen just writhing on the table there. (coughs) And uh, she was saying things in the Mian language that I didn't understand. And I asked the others in Lao, I said, what is she saying? I figured she was cursing God, cursing life, cursing her husband. (laughs) And they said, oh, no, no, she's, uh, she's praising God. She's saying that if it wasn't for God, she'd be dead already. Well, I was really impressed with her faith. But none of us were impressed with her husband. who He didn't even come down the mountain to accompany her to the hospital. And so we prayed for them. We prayed for Nileen to recover. And we prayed that God would get through to her husband. Then the following week, completely unexpectedly, the legs of Nileen's husband just swelled up. Swelled up to the point that he couldn't walk. And he had no idea what was happening to him. And it startled him. Now, normally, a man person who's animistic, they would call in a shaman or a spirit doctor to come and do a ceremony, do an animal sacrifice to feed the afflicted spirits to heal him. But you have to hire those guys. And he didn't have any money. 
And finally, the believer said, let us pray for you. Let us pray for you. And he, he, he acquiesced. He said, okay, whatever. And so they put their hands on his legs and they prayed for him. And then the following days, he was healed. <laughs> he could walk again. And, and this miracle melted his heart. He decided that he would follow Jesus too. It was just a few weeks later after that that we baptized the first 15 believers in this village. And he was one of them too. In fact, uh, we all worshiped together. Yeah, praise God for that. <laughs> in fact, after the baptisms that day, we went to their house to worship. The same house that we couldn't even approach before. Now, I like this story because it's exciting to see how God answers prayer. Nileen and her husband are still active leaders in that church to this day in that village. And over the years, we prayed for the little daughter that was born that day. And when she was 12 years old, she actually came to one of the trainings that I led in a different city. And now she's almost 18 years old. And I think we have a picture of her here. Um, This is her on the right. That was the baby that was born that day. And um, she's uh, in the process of finishing up her coursework at a local uh, Bible training program. And we actually hope that she will become one of the dozens of Lao national missionaries that we are now sending out to other remaining unreached people groups that live in the country. And, and there are countless stories that I could share with you. I wish we had more time um, about how God has moved on the frontiers of the gospel as our partners have called out to him and answered. I actually have a private uh, group on Facebook. We call it the Mekong Multiply Prayer Force. If you ever want to join that, then let me know. Uh, we post updates and prayer requests almost on a daily basis. And it's amazing how when I post something there, a prayer request from the field, how everyone prays for it. And almost every time we see God answer in the way that we have asked, including prayers for people to be healed, people to turn to the Lord, and for our workers to stand up under persecution. Many times our workers are interrogated. Sometimes they're arrested. And occasionally they've even been tortured because of their faith. And I wish I had more time to, to share all these stories with you. I actually wrote a lot of them in my book that Fitz referenced, if you want to read some more of those. Uh, but I do want to share one story with you this morning about two of our young girls named Da and Nope. Da and Nope uh, were out sharing the gospel in the village, and the police picked them up and asked them, do you follow Jesus? They immediately said, yes, we do. And so the police took them into custody. And they put them in a jail cell that uh, just reeked of, of urine. And they let them sit there all morning long. And uh, their interrogation began later that afternoon. And the police had spread out all their belongings and took pictures of last every item. And took pictures of them just to intimidate them. And then they pressured them about, why do you follow Jesus? But the girls stood their ground. The police told them that by following Jesus, they had betrayed their nation and their cultural heritage. And they threatened to kill them. They said, we can execute traitors, you know. At one point during the intense interrogation, Da boldly declared, our God is the great God. But this just infuriated the police who decided to handcuff the girls together as punishment. Well, Da and Nope were startled. They thought that meant that they were, it was time for them to get killed. And so they started running around the room trying to escape. And the police officers were grabbing at them and pawing at them. 
And the struggle escalated until one of the girls lost her cool and she shouted at the police officer, you're stupid. (laughs) But the men just beat them into submission and they finally succeeded in handcuffing the girls together and threw them back into the jail cell. The girls sat there crying for hours, wondering what was going to happen to them. Their, their cuffs were, were so tight on their arms that it started to cut into their skin. And they knew if they asked the police for help that they wouldn't care, they wouldn't listen. And so they decided to pray and ask God for relief. As soon as they said amen, a police officer came in and took off the cuffs. Now they separated the girls. They took Noke away. And the girls were scared and tears just welled in their eyes because they honestly thought that was the last time they'd see each other again. But the police put Noke to work doing the men's laundry. Well, that night, the police got to drinking, and they brought Don Noke back together, and they forced him to serve as bar girls, pouring the whiskey to the men. And the more they drank, the drunker they became, and the more obnoxious they got. And they began to badger the girls. Come sleep with the police chief. If you just sleep with him, we'll let you go. Don Noke steadfastly refused all of their advances. And so they were put back into that dirty, dirty jail cell to spend the night among the stench, the garbage, and the mosquitoes. Instead of sleeping, however, the girls cried and prayed and meditated on scriptures that they had remembered. Noke took comfort in the words of Psalm 23. Lord, you are my shepherd. I will never be in need. You let me rest in fields of green grass. You lead me to streams of peaceful water. You refresh my life. I may walk through valleys as dark as death, but I won't be afraid. You are with me. For Da, she considered the words of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. God blesses people, those people who are treated badly for doing right. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. God will bless you when people insult you, mistreat you, and tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. People did these same things to the prophets who lived long ago. Well, the girls survived the night, and they were released the next morning. Though the police kept their motorcycle and just dumped them alongside the road. But even so, their prayers were answered. God took care of them, and they survived. They started walking down the road, and if they would have walked the whole way, it would have taken them two days to get back to the city that they came from. And so they prayed again that someone would give them a lift, and sure enough, a truck came by and gave them a ride. (coughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. After hearing all these stories, both the exciting stories and the challenging ones, is that's great, prayer works for you, but when I pray, nothing happens. And it's easy to get a false impression sometimes, I think, when you hear all these highlight stories. But I know exactly what you're talking about. I, too, have prayed and not seen the results that I wanted. Probably more times than the other way around. Just a couple years ago, I asked people to pray for the daughter of a Mian family that we had led to the Lord. And they had turned to the Lord after two of their children had died due to an enlarged heart. And they had hoped that their new faith would protect their youngest daughter... But when she grew a few years older, she too developed the exact same problem. And we prayed hard for this girl. But in the end, she died. God did not answer the way that we wanted. And it was very sad. The mother even 
questioned her faith. She considered giving up her faith altogether because she felt that believing in God was no use. And when this happens, when God doesn't grant what we're asking, we're tempted to think that prayer just doesn't work. We pray, and God does not give us what we're asking, so what's the point? Prayer is of no benefit. It's of no use. It doesn't work. Does it? Does prayer work? Considering this question helped me to learn my third lesson about prayer, and that is this. Prayer is neither formula nor fatalism. Prayer is neither formula nor fatalism. Prayer is not a formula. It's actually a request that we present to God. And God has free will. God can say yes or God can say no. He's not obligated to give us what we want just because we pray. And so if we say prayer works, it's almost like we're treating prayer like a magic formula. You know, if you pray X number of times and for X number of hours, then you're going to get what you want. But that's not prayer. That's incantation. That's more akin to magic than prayer. And we should never think that prayer is magic. If we could control God and wield his power for our own purposes, that's one of the biggest mistakes that that we make when we try to understand prayer. We think that if we do it just right or if we do it enough, then God is obligated to give us what we want. But prayer is not a magic formula. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, the other mistake that we make, and this one may be more common actually, is to be fatalistic in our prayers. We assume that our prayers could never really change anything. And so we don't pray much. Or we don't pray at all. We just accept things the way they are. We give up. And we accept the status quo. Last August, all of us saw the horrific images of the military evacuation from Afghanistan. And we realized that many of Afghanistan's new Christians we're going to become very vulnerable to the Taliban's revenge as they swept back into the city. And more than once, um, I heard people say, people wanted to help, but more than once I heard them say, you know, besides prayer, what can we do? The assumption was that prayer isn't really doing anything, at least not anything useful for the sake of the Afghan people. And that's our tendency is that instead of crying out to God to act in ways that we never could, we feel it more effective to do something ourselves. It betrays what our real thinking about prayer is, that it doesn't make a difference. But prayer is doing something. It's not just resigning ourselves to fate. David Wells is a professor who wrote an article for the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course, and he puts it this way. Prayer is, in essence, rebellion. Prayer is actually rebelling against the status quo. In prayer, we are presenting the status quo to God, and we are saying to God, God, this is not acceptable. And we cry out to him, and we ask him to make a difference. Last week, Fitz shared with you about the persistent widow who demanded and got the justice that she was seeking Because she wouldn't give up. And it says that Jesus taught this parable to her, or taught this parable to his disciples to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And Jesus demonstrated this same commitment to prayer both at the beginning and the end of his ministry on earth. Before he began to preach in other villages and towns, before he finished choosing all of his disciples even, 
It says this in Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And it was after this time of early prayer that Jesus expressed his mission to bring the gospel to other unreached places. And you're probably familiar with the um, scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When Jesus cried out to Father God before he was arrested. In uh, Luke chapter 22, we can read that he withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he continues. And in being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, prayer is not a meaningless activity. It's not just the easy thing to do. Have you ever prayed so hard that you broke a sweat? That's what Jesus did. Have you ever decided to get up an hour or two early just so that you could spend some serious time in prayer before everyone else wakes up? That's what Jesus did too. Prayer is not just a ceremonial function that we do to open up meetings, but it can be pretty hard work at times. But it gets things done. Prayer often moves the hand of the Almighty when he sees us pour ourselves out to him earnestly and persistently. Well, my fourth lesson in prayer came when I considered this question. Why does God want us to pray? Why does God want us to pray? You know, that is really a great question. Especially when you consider that God already knows everything that we need. And he already knows everything that we're going to ask for. So why does he want us to pray? We don't have time again to consider all the possible answers to this question. But I think that we get a clue when we look at the only time in scripture when Jesus taught us how to pray. And that is the Lord's Prayer. Now many of you are probably familiar with the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you remember the prayer like this, you probably assume that there's two parts. Part one, you say some things about God. And part two, you ask for the stuff that you need. You know, your daily bread, your forgiveness, and and not being led into temptation, things like that. But I'm going to tell you an amazing secret this morning about the Lord's Prayer. The first part of the Lord's Prayer is not just statements about God. They are actually requests too. In fact, the first three requests in the Lord's Prayer are not even for our own benefit, but they are for God's benefit. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, that that first part of it, we're actually praying for God. We're praying for Him. But we miss this in the old translations. The first part of the Lord's Prayer might better be translated like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy. May your reign as king be established on earth. May everyone on earth obey you just like everyone in heaven does. These are requests that we're asking God. And they represent God's very mission on earth. That people would honor his name. That his kingdom would extend to the ends of the earth. And that everyone would obey him. So why does Jesus ask us to pray these things first? Why does he ask, have us pray for what he wants before we pray for what we want and need? 
And this is why I believe. We don't pray for the things about which we care. We care about the things for which we pray. You see, we don't just pray for the things that we care about, right? So much as we care about the things that we pray for. You see, if you start praying for something, God will give you a heart for that thing. And I believe that's what God wants to do. So what about you? What do you pray for? Do you pray for what you care about? Or do you pray for what God cares about too? Now, obviously, God cares about everything that you care about. And there's nothing in your heart that you can't bring to him. But there are some things that are on his heart too that we often don't take time to consider. And that is why I believe that Jesus taught us to pray the way that he did. Before we pray for what we want and what we need, we pray for his mission. We pray for his goals on earth. And I believe this because he wants us to care about his mission as much as he does. And this is the fourth lesson. And the reason that I believe God wants us to pray the way he taught us is that God wants us to care about his mission as much as he does. He wants us to care about what he cares about and not only what we care about ourselves. He wants us to care about his kingdom advance as much as he does. As a church, would you ever consider adopting an unreached people group somewhere in the world and praying for them until they heard the gospel and a church was planted among them? This past Easter, as we were putting on our Sunday best and clothing our daughters in dresses and sending our kids out to hunt for eggs and chocolate bunnies. This is what one of our mission partners wrote about our efforts in Laos. He said, we celebrate this resurrection day, not with colored eggs and pretty dresses, but by heading down lonely roads to share the message of that great day when Jesus came back to life with those who have yet to hear. Will you pray for us? You may feel that God does not answer your prayers, but I want you to know that God is faithful to his promises and you can trust him as you pray. And while you can't control God or force him to do things that you want or force the outcomes of your prayers, you can't give up praying either. You just can't. But continue to pray earnestly to God. God cares about you. And he's promised to take care of you, even if he doesn't give you everything that you ask. But he does care about everything that is on your heart. And he also wants you to pray for what is on his heart, too. Will you pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you because you are good. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you that you love us enough to take care of all of our needs. And that you are open for us to come to you in faith with anything that is on our hearts. But God, in our gratitude, we ask you to help us to see what is on your heart. Maybe some things that we don't often think about, that we forget about. But represent your very mission. Lord, put that in our heart too. Help us to pray for that. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming.